Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. Joining me as always, the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, Andrew Malcolm, at A.H. Malcolm on Twitter, not X, but Twitter. Twitter, uh, that's right. Back. That's exactly right. How you doing? You have a good holiday? I did. You know, we uh, I, I did a little uh, grilling on the Solaire, you know, uh, and uh, <laughs> enjoyed that. And um I had my mother over and you know it was a, just a, you know just three of us here uh with some nice wagyu sirloins and uh how did uh, how did the solar adapt from uh, Minnesota weather to uh Texas weather well awesomely that's <laughs> <laughs> fine you know the only thing that's different is that when i lived in minnesota i had natural gas to the house so i had it i changed it so it was connected to natural gas so i never had to worry about you know whether or not I had enough propane in the tank, but where I live, I don't have natural gas as an option. So I had to convert it back to propane when I got here. And um, so now I'm always kind of curious to just where am I at on this tank? I'm going to get myself a gauge. I finally decided to stop. I'm going to stop guessing at this. I got myself a gauge. No, but um, you either pour cold or hot water on the tank and it and it shows the level. It freezes on one level. I well, think... now you tell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you're right. It would be. That's that's actually really. It's actually a really good um, thing. I, 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 it's a fifteen dollar gauge. I, I just went ahead and got it just so yeah, I could... fifteen dollars these days. Ed is fifteen dollars. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's it's seven from a few years back. <laughs> it's it's, it's twenty tens seven dollars is what it is. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, we've got lots of stuff to discuss, I suppose. But, you know, I, I got to tell you, I was very moved by your piece about your father. And there's something about fathers and sons, you know, there's just something about about that relationship. And, you know, you're a beautiful writer, man. <laughs> I got to tell you, I don't know that we appreciate that as much as we actually should. That is a that is an absolute gem of a column. Oh, and thank you. Personal, very personal, and I'm glad that you shared that. And um, uh, that was uh, that was open to us, not VIP. So it is, yeah. So you know, if you haven't read it yet, go over to redstate.com because it really is a beautiful column. I just wanted to say thanks for sharing that because that. that well, really, thank you very much. That's very nice to hear. There's no point in writing if you don't have readers, and <laughs> you know. 26 years on the New York Times, long time ago, but 26 years is 26 years. Um, I never, ever, anywhere in the world saw anyone reading one of my stories, ever, outside my family. <laughs> <laughs> never, ever. You'd think with whatever it is, 5,200 stories, that there might have been one time on a train or a plane where I would have seen, but no, nothing. So that so I'm always appreciative of online and the comments, you know, um, just real quick, uh, Jennifer Van Lahr, the uh, managing editor at Red State, asked me, she said, well, you're the oldest one here. I'll bet you have a lot of memories. And uh, I said, well, so far. Uh, and uh, uh, she said, well, you know, when you think of some that might make a post, write them up and we'll put them out just like a regular post. So I've done it, I think, six so far, and they've been very popular. Just, you know, remembering how my dad got me off smoking. And uh, that was a good uh, one, too. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. And then this last one about uh, uh, a discovery after he passed away um, of something he did. And um, I really appreciate you saying that I'm a good writer. That 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 means a lot comes right to the heart. Thank you for that. Um, I enjoy writing those kinds of um, pieces where you can be evocative. I did that on the New York Times. And for one thing, uh, on features on the New York Times, well, for one thing, nobody else did it. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if they were good, but it sure as heck stuck out on the New York Times. <laughs> anyway, it was fun. So thank you for that. You know, it's funny because I, 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 I did read the one about smoking, you know, and uh, you know, my father was a smoker. He actually quit when I was born relapsed just a little bit because he was showing somebody how to roll a cigarette and decided to smoke it, relapsed a little bit, then quit again. But he did both times was cold turkey, right? And he was death on cigarettes after that. <laughs> so I was smoking when I was a young adult, including during a period of time when I was actually living with the man and he never knew it. <laughs> and he was over at my house and this is a few years later, right? He's over at my house and we we're cleaning some stuff out and he sees this little box with some old cigarette lighters, stuff, you know, just threw them in there. And he pulls me aside and he says, you know, and he says, he says, your son doing something with these cigarette lighters? I said, no, those are mine. <laughs> he looks at me, and goes, what are you doing with cigarette lighters? You know, little big things, right? Yeah, yeah. I said, well, I used to use them when I was smoking. <laughs> and I quit by this time, right? And he says, when were you smoking? I said, oh, I don't know, about eight years, you know? <laughs> So when we were living with me, I said, yeah, I just never smoked around the house, you know, and it was, it was I, I was maybe a pack a month smoker, right? Uh, although it was tough to quit. <laughs> it really was tough to put aside. And, uh, and he says, well, why didn't you ever say anything to me? I said, because you would have lectured me. And he says, you're damn right. I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my my dad's approach was, I won't spoil it, but uh, my dad's approach was more preventative, uh, but in a very clever, fatherly way. Um, and it worked like a charm. So Yeah. No, no, it's, it was, it's, it's a great story. People really need to go over there and read that over at redstate.com. But I'm glad that they have me doing that because, I mean, again, just these are really touching stories, funny stories in that, in that case. And... Um, and I think that people are really going to appreciate um, that insight that is coming from these columns. So I just want to make sure that everybody knows that that one's in the clear. The, the one about about um, the, the latest one about your father is in the clear. So go over to redstate.com and read that. I want to talk to you about the other column that you wrote in the VIP section about ISIS. Uh -huh. uh, and Jim Garrity wrote something today, too. I think you know, we're talking on Tuesday. I think it was today or it was yesterday where he said this is the second the second anniversary of joe biden insisting that we still had a lot of leverage over the taliban yeah i, I mean this i was really i really appreciated that your look at the isis folks but i mean all of them are coming back because the war wasn't over we just left it exactly right it's like james Mattis used to say well the problem with war is the other side has a say Yes. And, and uh, th there is an element of karma uh, in ISIS coming back, and that is that they're coming back against the Taliban. 
So the 20 or 20 plus years of the Taliban being the insurgents, they're now faced with their own set of insurgents. And uh, the only people who are suffering are uh, poor Afghans. But, uh, you know, it's not really a nation at all. It's a bunch of fiefdoms and they're all fighting as usual. So... uh, uh, it is grim. Uh, ISIS coming back is that there's no reason for us to go there except ISIS and Taliban and others are um, potential to or- reorganize and do another 911 because that's the big recruiting thing is that you can hit the great Satan um, if you come and join us and don't get killed. Well, you know, the Taliban has always had insurgencies right it was the northern alliance yeah uh, that was doing that and these were all of the non-pashtun tribes which which kind of united against the pashtuns who were the primary taliban pashtun yeah first off you have to kind of understand afghanistan as it's not really a country as much as it is a uh, a tribal area that is surrounded by a line on a map right i mean the pashtuns are are the plurality in Afghanistan, and I think they're close to being the plurality in Pakistan as well. Uh, I mean, these footprints overlap all the different boundaries. You got Tajiks, you got Uzbeks. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other ones that are there. Uh, um, um, I, I, I can't think of, there's, there's, there's a, some, so, some uh, smaller tribes. Um, so this is really tribal warfare, and it's been tribal warfare for probably centuries, right? Ever since Alexander the Great blew through there. And he, he didn't tame them either. <laughs> no, no, exactly. I mean, that was, that was, uh, I mean, it's, I guess it was sort of a, a, a sort of a temporary thing. Um, one of his more temporary uh, victories yeah. was, was in Afghanistan. And they, they don't call it the, the, the graveyard of empires for nothing. And, exactly. And then the Sikhs, the Sikhs had a empire and they came in and they couldn't beat them. Then the British and then the Russians uh, but, you know, we don't teach history anymore in the U.S., so we thought we could uh, do it. You know, it started as retribution, and I understand that, uh, after nine one one. But yep. uh, then we got into the mission creep and nation building, and um, it lasted too long. So, the and again, you're right about that. Um, the nation building thing was it sort of the necessity once you push the Taliban out, you needed to make sure that the other people stuck around. We stuck around too long. We kind of thought that, well, if we can just build some infrastructure, we can eclipse the Taliban so they don't come back. And the problem is, is that they were fighting an insurgency and America's not good at fighting long range insurgencies. No. Darn. And which is what, which is what Putin is counting on right now. Yeah, except I think he overshot the mark on that one. That's not a that's not a long range insurgency. That's simply defending um, well, itself now. Well, the long range is how long will the U.S. and the West support uh, Ukraine? And the Republicans are making noises that uh, it's not worth it. I think it is, but I'm in a minority. I, well, I agree with you, right? I mean, I'm not saying that Ukraine has the cleanest government ever, but Ukraine Ukraine wasn't going to invade its neighbors. Yeah, again. Okay, so so the American government, which is pure as the driven snow, 
with suspicious activity reports about its sitting president and a media that won't cover it. Yeah. Um, uh, millions coming in from China for who knows what, except a Chinese spy balloon didn't get shot down till its mission was over. I, uh, like, yeah, I, I wrote a column. Uh, was I got very angry when uh, when Obama was lecturing uh, Hamid Karzai about how he had to fight against corruption. <laughs> Chicago <laughs> Paul lectures Afghan president about fighting corruption. Jeez, oh, Pete, the the chutzpah of of Americans sometimes is nauseating. Yes. Well, I, and I agree. I agree. I mean, and, and I think that the issue here isn't whether or not Ukraine had a clean government. The issue is that you have somebody who's trying to do an imperial conquest at the expense of Ukraine. And it's a dangerous it's a dangerous development that has to be uh, that has to carry enough consequences so that other people don't try to do the same damn thing. That's really you know, that's right. Conquerors don't stop until they are stopped. And uh, he he did uh, two provinces of Georgia back in 2008. Nobody did anything except sanctions that didn't matter. So uh, he took over Crimea in 2014 uh, when um, Obama was president and Biden was vice president. And then Trump came in, who was very unpredictable on these things, which is a good thing. Uh, and uh, Putin didn't do anything. He didn't start organizing the Ukraine invasion until Trump was gone for two months. So there's a real sign there. And, and if, if if he wins, if Putin wins in Ukraine, then, you know, the Baltic states, which he could claim was Russia uh, originally, uh, they'd be next. And then it's a NATO war and we're in it. So we might as well do it by proxy. All it costs is gear. Yeah, right. Right, it's not costing American lives. Um, the next time it might, because if exactly. if he got a walkover in Ukraine, the next thing was going to be the Baltic states. Well, exactly. And Moldova. Exactly. Well, maybe Moldova would have been the very next thing. And we're getting a lot of intelligence. I mean, you know, we're not being inactive; we're being passive. But we're 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 getting a lot of stuff on on Russian tactics. Uh, we're uh, radio intelligence. That's what they. Uh, downed our drone over the Black Sea in international airspace, and Biden didn't have anything to say about it. Um, so uh, we're getting a lot out of it. They, they, they brought Russian gear, captured and destroyed Russian gear back to the U.S., to various uh, army installations to reverse engineer it and figure out the best ways in case we ever face those things in combat, um, the best ways to do uh, to uh, to do them in, and uh, it was a rude awakening. I don't. I hope we're going to come up on this in terms of supplies. We've gotten, and so has NATO. We've gotten kind of lackadaisical about uh, since the end of the Russian or the Soviet Union. Lackadaisical about supplies and training, and and uh, uh, I think this is a wake up call. And you know, we're getting low on some supplies because we we're uh, giving or selling them to Ukraine. Well, we need to gear up. And for instance, it takes two years. I don't know why, but it takes two years to gear up to make new javelin missiles. So 
Uh, yeah, I mean, that should be something that should be sort of on a continuous thing. I mean, this yeah, exactly, exactly. And, 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 uh, uh, you know, there are, what do you call them, subcontractors. So they have to gear up. So everybody has to gear up and then they can make them. But it, they don't make that many a year. We've made a lot and they were in storage and now they're contrib contributing to the, uh, recycled metal in ukraine well yeah i mean they're doing their job that's the and that's oh the man i'm glad you see those videos on youtube or on um the ukrainians put out the videos of course it's all positive for ukraine and the russians are doing the same to themselves but uh when you see those HIMARS and and javelins take out a tank it's uh curtains yeah it's it's very interesting how poorly the Russian military is performing. And that's something oh, that we also have had a chance yeah. to see. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I and, mean, I think this is, this is, we have a national interest. We have a security interest in making sure that we don't allow imperial conquest to become the norm again. That to yeah. me is, is the overriding concern here. And, yeah. and I think that that's something that a lot of the debate tends to miss. <laughs> that, and uh, and if, if we're talking about corruption in Ukraine, then it's uh, we got to talk about the Biden crime crime syndicate, who, well, I, who who got the prosecutor ousted, who was on the board of Burisma. I mean, you know, come on, right? <laughs> I mean, we're not doing this. We're not doing this because Ukraine is got a cleaner government. Uh, it probably does, but we're not doing it because it's a cleaner government than Moscow. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, I mean. Uh, you know, should, it, for those people who are saying that we should take Russia's side in this, if you think Ukraine's corrupt, you know, take a look at the gangster government where the Moscow window flu has been a thing for, oh, I don't know, the last decade. Isn't, isn't that something? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, this, this is a, he's a dangerous guy and he got more, he's been getting more and more dangerous over the last 15 years, ever since the invasion of Georgia. In 2008, which really should have made all the skills fall from everybody's eyes, but didn't. Um, so yeah, um, but you know, in I, I, we're going to have a kind of a shorter show today, um, just because timing issues. But I just want to make sure that people go back to your post about ISIS and the Taliban. In thank uh, you uh, at redstate.com. Uh, I and I, re re read all you want. We'll write more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same thing in hot air, by the way. I, I want to talk to you about something that I wrote this afternoon for hot air because you and I talk about media bias, right? Oh, we've yeah. got plenty of examples of it. You've got plenty of experience with it. Uh, we've been writing about it for years and years and years. Um, but a climate scientist wrote a really interesting lengthy essay at the Free Press. Now, this is uh, Barry Weiss's. Um, uh, publication, the free press, about how he basically neutered his own paper um, in order to allow it to get published at Nature about client about climate change and wildfires. <laughs> and what he wanted to write at Nature was, look, I mean, climate change impacts the intensity of wildfires. He he sincerely believes that, but it's not even one of the top causes of that. The top cause of wildfires these days is usually human ignition, either accidental or intentional. 80% of wildfires are started by human ignition. 
which is a fact that he points out in his paper at the Free Press, but had to omit from the paper at Nature. So uh, under about how you the refusal to put power lines underground in these areas is part is a large part of the problem. Bad forest management is a large part of the problem. Oh, that's a huge problem. There, there are in Montana. There were like a, on federal forest lands that were like like three and four tons of fuel just sitting there because they weren't allowed to to uh, to to cut timber. And yeah. you know, trees die. See, that's the problem. Yes. And 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 they have a lifespan like we do. And when they die, they make more fuel. Uh, and uh, when a fire gets going, and I've been on those fires, I've been right behind them. And they, this is where the, on my mind, this is where the the, the fables of of um, dragons comes from. They are like dragons. They suck the air in from the back preheat it and shoot it out the front all doing done by the fire when it has enough fuel and you don't see trees you know you light a piece of paper and it burns up the piece of paper that doesn't happen in a forest fire the tree is on fire the next tree bursts into fire because it's so hot and it's so dry it just goes like a like a Roman candle, whoosh, and the explosive whoosh of the tree sends uh, limbs and boughs far away, and that spreads the fire. So, yeah, there's a lot of it is the management. I should say the lack of management. Oh, you can't cut down a tree. Well, actually, you do, and they grow back. Guess what? Yeah, well, I, I, exactly. I mean, that's part of proper forest management, too. We used to know this. Right. Yeah. We used to do culling and and controlled burns and we used to clear brush and we don't. Oh, no, you can't do that. Ed. No, you can't do that. It makes it makes smoke. The, the, the larger point point this guy is making is that this entire field has become corrupt because of because of a number of factors. And there's a couple of really interesting ones in, in his paper, too. I mean, it really needs to be written, uh, read all the way through this. The, the guy's name is Patrick T. Brown. And he no longer works in academia. He's got a job at a um, at an NGO or or um, some sort of nonprofit. He says it in the piece. He explains it in the piece. But he got out of the academia thing because that was part of the problem. One issue here, which I found really interesting, was that he says part of the problem is that there are way too many PhDs coming out now, which means that there's a lot more competition, and. That means that the gatekeepers of, you know, personnel management and academia um, have a lot more power to decide, you know, who's uh, going to have a career and who's not. And so it makes it even more incumbent on these people to sort of kiss up to the current yeah. establishment. So they don't write papers anymore that contradict <laughs> the yeah. current establishment because if they do, they'll never have a career. They might not even get their doctorates, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's part of the issue. Part of the issue is that these there's only a couple. Of, um, there's only a couple of these platforms, uh, Nature and Science, being a couple of them that will even publish this stuff. And if you want it published, um, if you want it published prominently, in order to further your career, you're going to have to write what they want to publish. So these doctorates are writing to their agenda, not yeah. Yeah. 
and he yeah. lays all this stuff out. He talks about how this is, uh, you know, how it's it's turning this into a field of hysterics rather than, you know, producing, you know, some actual practical mitigating policies. And he says, "This is freepress.com." Um, is it? I think it's the fp.com is oh, okay. the URL, and I'll double check that. But I think it's the fp.com. Um, let me um, let me just double check that. Yeah, the F- thefp.com the fp.com and um i this may be behind this may be somewhat behind a paywall but if you get a chance you really should read it all the way through because there's other things that in there that he talks about which is for instance that it's an absolute falsehood that um human deaths are going up because of heat or because of storms it's a falsehood that this is negatively impacting crop yields. Crop yields have been increasing all through the global warming, you know, ep, you know, epoch uh, or era, if you will. Um, and they have data. He's got the data to show that, but they don't want people talking about that because then it means that you can actually mitigate <laughs> the impact of, yeah. of climate, you know, of, of warming. So, yeah. I, I, I pointed out to you because you and I talk about media bias all the time. Oh, this is- yeah, all the time. Yeah, exactly. And so it's not, it's academic media bias. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's a confluence of it. Um, unfortunately, we're probably going to have to leave it there for today because, again, I'm sort of on a tight schedule trying to get a number of things done in the afternoon here. But I know you don't have a joke of the day, but I've got a couple for you. And I think that that's only fair because you brought the jokes for years and years here. And I think it's, that's, I think it's time that, for me to that, that's true, Ed. I'm going to knock off here. You tell some jokes. There you You're going to gold brick here for just a second while I tell you a couple jokes. All right. Joke number one. And it, both of these are from jokesoftheday.net. Um, first one is my girlfriend dressed up as a policewoman told me I was under arrest for suspicion of being good in bed. After two minutes, all charges were dropped due to a lack of evidence. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Uh, The final joke here. After waiting for more than an hour and a half for her date, Melissa decided she'd been stood up. She changed from her best dinner dress to her pajamas and slippers, fixed herself a snack, and resigned herself to an evening of television. No sooner had she flopped down in front of the TV than her doorbell rang, and there stood her date. He He took one look at her and said, I'm two hours late. You're still not ready. <laughs> yeah, I will yeah, be okay. thinking that joke later. I, I assure yeah. you, when my wife hears this podcast, I will be. <laughs> 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 that here, but it was worth it. It was worth it. Yeah, that is a good one. That's a good one. All right. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad. Andrew Malcolm, the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com. Find him on Twitter, not X, on Twitter at ah Malcolm, uh, or over at redstate.com. You bet. Thank you, Edward. See you next week, everybody. See you next week. <laughs>